grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, We are finishing our sermon series this week called The Good Work. Uh, We're coming to the conclusion on a short three-week series where we looked at the work of Nehemiah and the Israelites as they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem to give them safety and protection, to give them hope and a future. Our our kind of theme verse for this three-week series comes from Nehemiah chapter 2, where Nehemiah says, I told them the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. They strengthened their hands for the good work. They knew that what was coming before them was going to be something that they were not prepared for, something that they had never done, and they were going to need some extra curricular help that could only come from God. Because the people who were going to build the wall were not masons. They were not construction workers. They were regular people conscripted into the effort. There were jewelry makers, there were, there were teachers, there were potters and bakers and just regular people. And so we see over the last two weeks especially that there's a way to begin the good work, there's a way to continue the good work, and now we're going to see the way to finish the good work. But to recap you as quick as we can over the last few weeks, how do you begin? We see from Nehemiah and from Jesus to begin the good work, you sit down to cry that if there's something in this world, injustice in this world, that affects you on a deep spiritual level, that that's actually a gift from God. And so you cry and you let the injustice of the world affect you. And then you kneel down and pray. You actually lift up prayers to God and you say, God, you are the one that can change this. You're the one that can make a difference. You kneel down to pray and then you stand up and you act. Because God has given you something to do, you stand up and you do it. And then last week we saw, okay, how do we continue the good work? And you seek God faithfully. What you began in prayer, you continue in prayer. And then you point out what you want to do. You define the direction clearly. What is is God sending you to do? Where is God sending you to go? Then you make plans carefully. You actually start laying out the process that you're going to do. And and maybe you won't have all 31 steps from the Lego instructions to show you from beginning to end. But what God might show you is the next step that he wants you to take faithfully. So you take the next step faithfully that God has called you to take. But we know that when progress begins, when things start to happen, the devil doesn't like that. The devil wants to destroy. He doesn't want to create. The devil wants to disrupt. He doesn't want progress to happen. And so Nehemiah shows us to continue. We have to stand strong in the face of opposition. And then finally, if you're actually going to do the work, if you're going to make a difference, if you're going to change the world, you need to inspire people passionately. Because this is something we can't do on our own. Most of the things that God calls us to do, which would change the world, are not solo missions. They are not God sending you in alone as a kind of martyr, 
but God sending you to inspire others around you so that you together can do the work he would have you do. And today we come to the final message, and it, it basically is this. How do we finish strong? We shut the door on distractions. And I think this is actually one of the hardest parts. This is one of the hardest parts, is actually finishing the thing that God gives us to do. And the reason why is because if the enemy can't destroy you, he will distract you. And think about this. We live in 2019 in the age of distraction, period. We have more at our disposal, especially in America, than any generation had ever had, ever. So I've got, I've got a loyalty to the Detroit Lions. You know this. I've talked about this. Even though the team is bad, I still root for them. And, and I don't always watch every game because I don't want to punish myself. I don't want to flail myself. So there's a, there's a point at which I will turn off the game and I will go and do something else. But we live in the age of distraction. So even though I have a bad team, I can still draft my own team in fantasy football so that it's not just me paying attention to the Lions, it's me paying attention to every single team in the NFL. And my wife just flashed a three at me, uh, which means that I don't have one fantasy football team, I have three (laughs) fantasy football teams, because we live in the age of distraction. Right? And, and, and this is, a, this is a, a broad phenomenon, and it's not just football, it's basketball, it's hockey, it's um, baseball. If there's fantasy golf, I would have to, like, quit, right? But, but think about it. We've got so many things in our lives right now that just stack up, stack up, stack up, and they will distract us from the purpose and the mission that God has for us. And it could be fantasy football. Maybe for you, it's television. We live, we live in the era of peak TV. If you want to be able to watch every show that's good on every channel, on every streaming service, on every platform, you would actually have to dedicate yourself to a full-time job of watching TV. And then even there... There are TV critics today that I read kind of reviews of a show here and there, and the TV critics themselves say, there are too many shows, it's my job, and I can't even watch all of them. Because we live in the golden age of distraction. And maybe it's not watching sports or uh, watching TV or watching movies or playing video games. Maybe it's playing sports so that my distraction becomes every single thing that my kids or grandkids are signed up for. I mean, in your schedule, as you kind of see it along, I mean, do you spend more than two hours a day either watching, ferrying, transporting, or or some other thing for the, the sake of extracurricular activities for your children? Now, certainly to a degree, those are good. Like, we want those. Those are, those are good and solid. But, but do they become more than? Do they distract us from the thing that God would have us do? You see, there was great progress being made in the work that God had planned for the Israelites and for Nehemiah. And chapter 6 kind of spells this out. When Sanballat 
and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up until that time I had not yet set up the doors of the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together in Hephrom in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. Now, I think Nehemiah probably knew that they intended to do him harm because they wanted to meet in a place called Oh No. (laughs) Right? Like we're thinking, if your enemies ever come to you and they say, hey, we would like a meeting and we'd like to meet in a place called Oh No, you probably want to say, oh no. (laughs) Right? You're just thinking. You're thinking it through. But, but also, we live in an era where if we have critics, where if we have people who are criticizing, sometimes we'll say, I have an opportunity to meet with my critics to transform their minds. But what we call an opportunity, God often calls a distraction. Nehemiah wasn't called to go and meet with his critics to stop the progress on the wall. He knew what they were about. He knew they were trying to distract him. They knew that Nehemiah was making progress, and he knew that they were going to do anything that they could to stop it. And I want us to think about this too, not just in terms of Nehemiah, but also in terms of Jesus, Jesus did not say yes to everyone all the time. In fact, Jesus would say no to us in order to say yes to his father. I mean, did Jesus go around healing people 24-7? Jesus didn't need to sleep. Jesus didn't need to eat. Jesus tells his disciples, in fact, I am sustained by doing the will of my father. I have bread you don't even know about because my sustenance, everything about me, comes from God. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness without eating or drinking, and we think, man, I don't know that I could make it 40 hours without eating or drinking. I'd be pretty weak. I'd be pretty broken down. But Jesus comes to the end of that time in the wilderness, and he's stronger than ever. Jesus would say no to you and me in order to say yes to his Father because he wants to align his will with the Father's will at every time and at every point. There's a place in the middle of the Gospel of Matthew where this is spelled out very, very clearly. It's in chapter 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And, and you got to wonder, right? Like how cocky and arrogant and brash do you have to be as Peter to be like, Jesus, let me tell you something. I don't think you're right here. I think you're wrong. And and he says, far be it from you, Lord, this should never happen to you. And, And if it's not cocky, and if it's not brash, maybe it's concern and love. Lord, you are the savior of the world, Peter's already proclaimed. Lord, salvation is found in you and no one else. You can't die because you are life. This should never happen to you. But he turned 
Jesus turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now think about it. You will never do God's good work if you're distracted by the devil. I mean, if you're Jesus, it sounds good to have your A number one disciple come to you and say, Jesus, no, this isn't it. We've got to find another plan. We've got to find another plan for you to save the world that doesn't involve you dying because you dying can't be part of the plan. And if Jesus had listened and been like, you know what? I like the sound of that. I, uh, I, think, I think, Peter, Peter, you're onto something. We're going we're gonna to suss this out. We're going to go through all these steps. And we're going to make sure that in order to do uh, the Father's will, uh, we're going to double-check this and make sure that it, it involves me dying. And especially, I mean, the way that he died. Jesus actually does double-check, right? When he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and sweating blood the night before he was betrayed, he asked the Father three times the same question, are you sure that there's no other way to accomplish the work you've given me than this way. But not my will, your will. Jesus doesn't come to do the devil's work. Jesus comes to do the Father's work, and the Father's work is the salvation of all who would believe. We jump back into the text, and, and Sanballat is a pretty persistent guy. He's one of those critics who emails you and then emails you again and then calls you and then calls you again and then texts you and texts you again and he's like, yo, we need to talk. And, and then he even sends his assistant over with a letter saying, hey, we need to talk. I mean, for the fifth time. I mean, it was written, didn't you know people are talking about you? It was written in the letter, um, hey, Nehemiah, it's being reported among the nations. And Geshem also says it. I mean, it's not just the nations, it's also Geshem. That you and the Jews intended to rebel. That's why you're building the wall. In fact, according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you've also set up for yourself prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there's a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now... Come, let us take counsel together. I mean, you didn't believe me the first four times I sent you the letter. We got to talk. And so this fifth time, I'm going to say, hey, we're going to start some rumors about you. We're going to start telling people that you intend to rebel. That's why you're building the wall. And you're going to set yourself up as king. And you're going to have prophets proclaiming that you're the king. So now that I've threatened you, do you want to come talk? I mean, are you interested in having a conversation now? And, and what Nehemiah does, I think, gives us a lesson. Don't worry about what people say about you. Worry what's true about you. 
You know, because I think there's a huge difference that there are going to be people who spread lies, who spread gossip, who don't tell the truth about the work you're doing and the plan that God has for your life. And they're going to they're try to discredit you and break you down if you're doing something that has an impact on the future of God's kingdom. Because the devil wants to destroy you. And at the very least, he wants to distract you with things which aren't true about you. So the way Nehemiah lives, he says, don't worry about what people say about you. Worry about what's true about you. And listen to his response. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done. For you're inventing them out of your own mind. And he kind of tells us, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it won't be done. But now, O God strengthen my hands. How do you respond to the distractions? How do you respond to the devil? You respond with more prayer. (laughs) You respond with more God, and you respond with more determination. The very next verse, Nehemiah says, now they sent even more people. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehatabal, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. Nehemiah, we've got to go. We've got to get inside the temple. We've got to hide you because they're coming to get you. But Nehemiah knows this is a trap too. Because if Nehemiah does this, he'd be breaking the law of God and then they would have something to trap him in. He says, but should I, should such a man as myself run away? I mean, what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and I saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin so that they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Nehemiah stays true to God's good work in his life. Nehemiah doesn't veer from the course because of a distraction. Nehemiah doesn't break the law because of a distraction. Nehemiah stays true. And we see his his greatest proclamation really of the work that he's doing is in verse 3 and 4. When Nehemiah sent messengers to Sanballat and Tobiah, the ones that would threaten him, he says, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And again, they sent to him four times in this way, and he answered them in the same manner every time. So how does your good work become a great work? You finish it. I mean, you actually finish what you started, and is it going to be perfect in every way, in every jot and every tittle? No, no. It might not be, but it'll be done, and the work God called you to do will be great because he called you to do it. And then God will get you on to the next thing he wants you to do. Nehemiah prays, 
as they're finishing the work. He says, God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month Elul in 52 days. Nehemiah, when he was confronted with this news of the wall being in shambles, being torn down and destroyed, Nehemiah prayed for four months before he did a thing. Nehemiah prayed for 120 days before he brought up a word of what God had put on his heart for the king. And then he goes to the king. He asks the king for permission. The king gives him provision and protection. The king sends him to do the work. And Nehemiah inscripts regular people to do the work of God. And they were threatened and they were attacked, and they were insulted, and they finished in 52 days. You will never finish what you don't start. What is God putting on your heart? What is the brokenness that exists in the world around you, in the nation around you, in the state around you, in the county around you, in the city or village around you? What is the brokenness that exists in your family or maybe in your own self? And what are you terrified to begin because you don't think you can do it on your own? I want you to know you can't. And God doesn't want you to. God wants to do it with you. He wants to recruit people to help you. But he does want you to start. He wants you to begin. He wants you to continue. And he wants you to finish the good work. Nehemiah says, when all of our enemies heard the wall was done, All of the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. You know, I said this in week one, Nehemiah didn't finish the wall alone. He didn't construct the wall alone, but nothing happened until he started it. Whatever the good work is that God is putting on your heart to begin, may you recognize that he gives you power not only to start, not only to continue, but also to finish. And you know that this power is real and true because it's the power of God displayed in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the God who has command of death, who raised his son from the dead. That's the same power he gives to you. It's the same power that dwells inside of you. One of the things that brought the people to tears as they were worshiping their God was hearing the word of God proclaimed. 
was seeing that the future was there where they would be able to worship in the temple. And now today, 2,500 years later, the same word is proclaimed to you, except now you are the temple. And the Spirit of God lives in you that you might receive his good work and share it with your family and your friends and everyone you meet. Pray with me. Lord God, Heavenly Father, the good work you've begun in us, you will bring to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ when he returns to make all things new. Lord, prepare us for that day. Send us for that day to proclaim to others the good and great day of our Lord is coming, full of grace and mercy, full of love and truth. And help us to proclaim and share your love that others might turn and worship you. This we pray through the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.